Salofalava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. What they are upset about is the government never helped. The government never came in while it was happening. The response for Maui's recovery is too slow for residents. Also, there were no findings against any of the parties involved. The Australian government reaches a settlement with the family of a refugee who was killed in Manus Island. And later... I couldn't find any bite marks or anything from it, so I don't think it got attacked by a shark. Cook Island locals find a dead humpback whale washed up on shore. Maui is in a state of recovery and mourning as emergency teams continue to recover bodies in Lahaina. Thousands of evacuees from Lahaina are being sheltered by church congregations and in community buildings across Maui. There's been huge outpouring of community support, but many are frustrated with Hawaii's government. Whenau Whonua has more. Alan Dutoit, an assistant at Maui New Life Church, whose congregants have been accepting evacuees into their homes, says many are still waiting for family members to be recovered. Dutoit, who lost a relative in the disaster, says emergency sirens didn't go off during the disaster and many residents escaped only seconds from when the fires hit their homes. There's a lot of family um, bodies that they still have to find. You know, a lot of the families are waiting to see if they recover the family members. This one lady said within 10 seconds the fire came, so they had to bail out of the house. Um, they, couldn't, they couldn't turn around and go back in a room to grab one of the um, family members. But they said they, they never have time to react. All he could do is run. He says it's left the many infuriated with the government. What they are upset about is the government never helped. The government never came in while it was happening. They never came in. Then sirens wasn't going off for hurricane sirens or whatnot, which is why the people, which a lot of people lost their lives because if they heard the sirens, they would have caused ran. The death toll of the wildfires which devastated Lahaina is expected by many to rise significantly over the coming days, as many are still reported missing. Local Baptist church pastor Matt Brunt says there's despair as evacuees wait for the bodies of loved ones to be found. They're pretty certain that certain people that they haven't been able to find yet are are most likely going to be part of the count of people that have died. And so that's still one of the biggest things on island is just the fact that as of yesterday, what they had zoned out as a search area, only 3% so far has actually been searched. RNZ's Hawaii correspondent Tony Waterman says that much of Lahaina is yet to be searched. The event is already the deadliest wildfire disaster in modern U.S. history. Waterman says specialist teams are on the ground, slowly searching for human remains. The governor of Hawaii, Josh Green, uh, told CBS that they expect that they're going to find anywhere between 10 to 20 people every single day until they finish, and that it's probably going to take another 10 days to cover the entire disaster zone. They've only covered about 3% so far, uh, so the death toll is expected to rise and to rise uh, quite dramatically. Hotels in Maui are expected to start taking in evacuees as part of a state recovery action plan. The Australian government has struck a confidential settlement with the mother of a 23-year-old refugee who was beaten to death by guards at an Australian-run detention centre in Papua New Guinea in 2014. 
Refugee Action Coalition's Ian Vintol told Lydia Lewis it brings a little bit of closure for the family of Reza Barati. Uh, a little bit of recognition of all the you know the suffering and misery that uh, the Australian government has put the you know the Barati family through. I mean, it won't bring back Reza, but uh, it is just a, a small measure of, uh, of of recognition of their uh, the, the Australian government's responsibility for his death. And two PNG men were sentenced, but an Australian and New Zealander have not been. Can you tell me a bit more about that and what the anger and frustration is around that? It was very clear very early on, you know, that there were Australians and New Zealanders involved in the in the killing in Reza's killing, and that the two guys in PNG were really, you know, scapegoats for the lack of political will, you know, to follow up the allegations against the. Um, the other guards, you know, that were involved. I mean, there was very detailed information uh, given to the authorities about who uh, was believed to be involved in his in his killing, but there was absolutely no attempt to follow it up. Actually, that was uh, one of the first indications of the extent to which the Australian government and the New Zealand government perhaps uh, would go uh, to protect uh, the human rights abuses that were happening in yeah, Manus Island. There are many other instances of uh, allegations of abuse by uh, Australians, uh, in which the first thing which the government did uh, was uh, allow the Australians to go back to Australia to avoid you know, any possible investigation or, or charges. And just briefly, what happened nine years ago that led to the death of Reza and the injury of many others? The thing that's most important about it is to understand that the level at which it was actually, actually the guards involved, uh, there were many uh, suggestions that the, it was uh, you know, local animosity which led to Reza's killing, but it's, it's quite clear that it was the you know, guards uh, involved in the actual running of the centre that were uh, ultimately responsible you know, for his death. Now, there had been protests you know, in the lead-up to you know, Reza's killing. That's entirely you know, understandable. There had been a series of protests you know, that had that had been happening uh, against uh, their detention, uh, which, as the PNG court found, was un- was unlawful. And in any case, there was a, it was a shocking scene of uh, of human rights abuses. Um, um, but it also became so it became very clear that that it was the uh, retribution, you know, from the authorities, from the guards inside the detention centre that led to uh, Reza's death. And there is still around 70 people who are in PNG, not in Manus Island, but in Port Moresby. Are they still suffering years on? And and what needs to happen now? Look, some some of the people in Port Moresby actually are suffering directly from the injuries that were inflicted on them in the in the same incident that led to uh, you know Reza's you know, killing. Uh, they're all suffering uh, from psychological and physical damage you know from their experience at uh, you know at Manus Island. Um, we're continuing to campaign in Australia for the Australian government to bring all those people in Papua New Guinea to to Australia where they should have been allowed to stay. You know, in 2013, when they first came to Australia seeking protection. Uh, but there's no doubt, I mean, a, a list of people who are so damaged that they're incapable of actually engaging uh, with the UNHCR or other refugee uh, authorities. Uh, the PNG government has got no overarching responsibility uh, for those for those people. And we're just seeing, you know, their their life deteriorate as they, as they left to rot. In uh, in Papua New Guinea, so the human the human rights abuses you know haven't haven't ended. Now, Manus Island may be closed, but uh, the the 70 people who are still in Papua New Guinea 
you know, are, are still suffering the, uh, the consequences of uh, you know, being sent there by the Australian government. In a rare occurrence, a dead humpback calf whale was washed up in Mangaia in the Cook Islands late last week. Humpback whales are migrating to the Pacific Islands from their southern feeding grounds to mate and give birth. Nan Hauser, the director of Cook Islands Whale Research, expects beached calves to become a more common occurrence as storms get more intense from climate change. She speaks with Caleb Fotheringham about what likely happened to the calf. Do you have any reason why you think this happened? I do, and it's getting a little bit scary because I think we're going to see more and more of this. Last year, when we had the humpback calf come over the reef in Aitutoki, and it was still alive, that was in August, August 17th last year. It was quite alarming because we haven't seen tons of that in the past four or five decades. Occasionally, a calf has been thrown over the reef, but because of climate change, we're getting so much intense weather. Currents are changing and waves are getting higher, storms are getting more intense. So we're actually seeing these calves being pushed away from their mothers and thrown over the reef, and then they're separated. And then, of course, it's a disaster, and it's a very emotional time for the mother and the calf. When we saw that happening last year, I remember speaking to people around the world about it, and they were seeing it also, and worrying that we would see more of that. We might have because to of get used to that. And so this so much this young calf that came weather. over the reef in Mariah could have been the same higher. situation are getting where it just got lifted so up and thrown over the reef. But there are other reasons too why climate change could have affected the whale coming over. When we see calves wash up, is that usually caused by the separation of the calf and their mother? The actual lifting the whale up over the reef and throwing it on the other side causes the separation. A mother would never leave her calf. She stays with it all the time. The relationship is quite like humans, actually, without sounding too anthropomorphic, but they really love their calves and the calves really depend on the mothers. So if the mother's resting, I mean, she's just made this huge migration from Antarctica. She's tired. She's come up here to mate and give birth. And so she's she's exhausted from giving birth. She's got the calf tucked up underneath her or next to her or on her head. But if a huge wave comes or a current comes and lifts up that calf and throws it over the reef, it's a disaster because that calf cannot survive without its mother. Before you were saying about how climate change is affecting all sorts of things, are we seeing the whale's migration pattern changing well, it has to change. And and it's crazy. We don't understand exactly how this is going to work because it's almost as if the the migratory pathways and the, the corridors and the whole migration pattern, it's hardwired. It's like ancestral knowledge. It's memory. It's hardwired, you know, into their cells, into their DNA. And so all of a sudden they have to change all this. Because where they're going, where they're used to going, the water's too warm and their food's not there anymore or it's not as abundant as it was. We see a lot more problems with seals and seal pups left on beaches in different places. And that's because the anchovies and the sardines that they're eating are having to go deeper and further out where it's cooler. 
So the water temperatures, as they increase, they also trick the biological clock of these animals into thinking, oh, it's time to migrate. It's time to do this. Maybe they're not um, as fat as they should be. Maybe they don't have as much blubber because remember, they don't eat. After they leave Antarctica, they don't eat for, oh, sometimes six to eight months. They fast. And so they have to carry all that water in their bodies, in their blubber to produce milk. And if the mother's not all that healthy, then obviously the calf's not going to have the proper nutrition itself. Are you seeing the whales come earlier or later to Rarotonga right now, or is it pretty in line with what you've seen in the past? It's much later. In fact, when I first started my research here in 1998, we would see a lot of whales show up around the second, third, fourth week of June, and our season would start, and then July it would be in full swing. Well, now we don't really get into full swing until August 1st. We have whales that show up and pass through, because remember, we're just a corridor. They come through here on their way to true breeding grounds like Nui or Tonga or New Caledonia. But when they show up later here, they don't spend as much time here either. They're just passing through. So I would say that since I've been here since 1998, it's been delayed by mm, six weeks now, maybe even seven, six or seven weeks. It's been delayed over the past couple of decades. That's Pacific Waves for today. Koroi Hawkins will be filling in for me in the next show. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far so far.